talk about the end of time, the final chapter in the story, that we've actually come to the end of uh, this incredible drama, this narrative of God that's, that's uh, depicted for us throughout the scriptures. And you just heard a reading from John the Apostle. It's from Revelation. John was the only one that they didn't kill. All the other apostles preached the truth of the gospel and thought their lives were worth offering it. It was so compellingly true for them that they thought it was better to give up their life than to stop giving life. All but John. John outlives them all. And it wasn't that they didn't try to kill John. There's, there's uh, uh, traditions of John being boiled in oil to shut him up. <laughs> but it didn't work. He survived it miraculously. Kept on preaching the gospel and was eventually banished to the island of Patmos, a little castaway island in the Mediterranean, uh, just to keep him away. His powerful message, his powerful persona, Christ continuing to live through him, was too much for those who didn't understand it. They feared him. They decided to banish him and put him away, but they were not successful even then because on that island, John received a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he tells us that revelation. You've just heard of it. And it's a, it's a, in that piece of it, it's talking about the fact that a new heaven and a new earth will will descend like a, a glistening bride from heaven. That place that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, is now peopled with all those that he commissioned us to call into this reality someday. Go therefore and make disciples of these and all peoples. All peoples. Isn't it interesting that today when we come to the end of the story, we get a little glimpse of Maybe what heaven will look more like. All nations healed by the leaves on that tree of life. That garden that we return to where God can live out his desire from the very beginning to live and to walk with his people in the coolness of the garden as any ordinary day. But for us, it will be miraculous. For us, it will be transforming as we're a part of that new reality. For John, the end of the story, if we can get a look at the next slide, the end of the story, we, we get that at the end of the story. But for John, his end is really a whole new beginning, a, a new eternity. Uh, the earth that has been groaning for redemption has now been rebirthed according to God's plan. And you'll find in that garden of the future only one thing really missing, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because that decision's already been made. And God's people have chosen His Christ and His way. Imperfectly sometimes, but nevertheless, that has been the intention of our heart that God reads. And He claims us for Himself because we've claimed His Son. Look. Revelation 21.3 reads, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself, God Himself, will be with them and be their God. What an incredible 
end of the story. It is a new beginning. And because we have that to look forward to, hope for us is forever a gift in any now in which we live. No matter how difficult it becomes, just like the kids sang a moment ago, they sing the same gospel, though of a different nation than we. No matter how difficult or dark times become, Christians always know that the best is always yet to come. John's testimony is that God gets the last word. Our loving God. They'd never seen anyone buried quite like that. She was in the casket before the congregation. The, the message had started. People filed by as often they do as their respects in that particular tradition. And then when they went by, they noticed that, that Grandma, strangely enough, her hands crossed, nothing strange there, looking serene in the casket, nothing strange there, but she was holding a fork. And people thought, you know, what's, what's with the fork? And her family had to explain, well, when, when we always had dinner over at Grandma's, we loved those times so much, and, and she would always tell us, keep your fork. Dessert's on the way, the best is yet to come. Every Christian should be buried with a fork. The best is always yet to come. And because of that, because we know of that eventual hope, we, we can have hope in the now, courage to live these days knowing that that day of vindication, that day of reconciliation, that day of glorification is to come. In 2 Corinthians four sixteen and 18, Paul says it was because he could look forward to those unseen things that he had heart, heart, to fight the good fight day to day. Heaven is not just some platitude that, that Christians talk about and it's not really important. It's an anchor. It's an anchor that we set into the future. In Hebrews, it talks about it as a great hope. And hope is usually something that... Uh, anchors are usually something you throw behind a ship. But there is one time, one time in... in uh, the understanding of the workings of, uh, of a ship and one of the guys said he wanted to be a soldier in the Navy. He'll know this someday that there's one time that they throw the anchor off the front and usually that's when the ship is still in dock and a storm has come in too quickly for them to get out into the high sea where they'd really be safe and for which they're built. And, and, and so a tugboat will run an anchor out into deep water out, out of the harbor, going out of the harbor and the ship will pull itself towards that anchor until it has freedom to hit the high seas. Paul talks about that. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks about the hope of heaven being an anchor. Not cast behind us, but cast before us. And it anchors us to live today knowing that that is uh, our tomorrow. It really is important. But if that's true, if the end of the story is not the end of the story, if the end of the story just tells the end of the story to come, which is really just a new beginning, then over and over again, this is a story that's not ending. This is a story to be continued. I usually hate those. <laughs> to be continued. The drama was going so beautifully. And now there's an intermission. Are you kidding me? 
I want it to continue. I just want it to continue right now. And thank God that's exactly what happens. The story, this book that we've read that lays out the Bible from the beginning of the narrative to the end, was not the first effort to lay out that wonderful drama scene by scene. Do you remember when we first started this story? We talked about the Sistine Chapel and how Michelangelo painted scene after scene, the same scenes that we've worked through practically as we've gone through the story ourselves of how God wove and wrote his upper story plot into our lower story lives. We've looked at one biblical character after another, but that's true for us still today because the real artist of that story is not Michelangelo. The real artist is God himself, and he is still painting on a ceiling that's extended far past what's in the Sistine Chapel. On a ceiling that extends to us today, he is painting our image into his story. If we'll choose to cooperate with him. I wonder, how are you depicted there? What would that scene look like? Your, your, your role in his story, in his mission. You see... Your story is to be continued also. It's not done. And if the best is always yet to come, how can we not anticipate what God might do next in each of our stories? Are are you trusting God to let him write your story in yours? Practically. Really. Right now. Rhett and Scarlett did. You know their story. You thought it was over. When the credits come up with Gone with the Wind, one of the greatest stories ever told, you know, you'd think the highlight of their story has already been told. But that's not at all true. I think Gone with the Wind probably in the movie doesn't even capture the best part of their stories. If you think that, history would tell you that you're wrong, although it's a history that's not much known. Gone with the Wind, Rhett and Scarlet were based on two real people, Rhett Turnipseed, no wonder they called him Butler, <laughs> and E.L. Hannon, a real woman, was depicted as Scarlet. And the story is true up to the point that it, that it leaves off in Gone with the Wind. Rhett does go, and he does fight for the Confederates. But after the war, he's a bit disillusioned and and misdirected and finds himself becoming a drifter and a gambler until God intervenes. On Easter morning, 1871, Rhett Turnipseed found himself in a Methodist revival in Nashville. Easter morning. And on that Easter morning, God's story was welcomed into his story. Did it make a difference? I would guess so. He was so thoroughly converted that he felt a call to live as a disciple and as a minister. He attended Vanderbilt Seminary, became a Methodist circuit rider, preacher in rural Kentucky. And you'd think, you know, that that should be a good ending. Let's just end it right there. But God's not finished. His story will continue. 
It continues for each of us. Rhett rides off as a pastor with concern for one in his flock. A young girl has been reported as a runaway and she's been gone too far and no one's heard from her. The last they heard from her, she was in St. Louis. So this pastor goes to rescue this young teenage girl. He goes to St. Louis. And upon uh, tracing her steps, finds that she has become uh, a participant in a a brothel there in St. Louis. Representing the parents, he demands her release. But the police say, we have no lawful right to do that. She's now of legal age. So he, he remembers his gambling days. And the madam who will not speak to him or release the girl, he challenges And he says, I'll play you a game of cards. Winner take all. If I win, if I win the hand, she goes with me. If you win the hand, she continues to serve you here. The challenge went to the madam. She she accepted and they met over that poker table. But when they met, Rhett looked up into the face of one that he knew. Scarlet. E.L. Hannon, a jaded and lost woman, the madam, the organizer of that, of that brothel, the, the head woman. She had already agreed to the game. Her honor was on the line, and, and so was his. They, they played the hand. Rhett was dealt a royal straight flush. A rare unbeatable hand and we don't know if it was in the cards that scarlet saw god or if it was in ret that scarlet saw god we do know she soon became a methodist herself she joined the local methodist church She emptied out the brothel and sold it. And she used all she had not to exploit others for profit, but she opened and operated an orphanage for Cherokee children until she died in 1903. Now you tell me, what scene do you think is going to be painted on the ceiling? Rhett and Scarlet. Do you really think it's going to be a scene from Gone with the Wind? Or is it going to be a scene that's been authored by the one that John says comes with the clouds? What will that panel that represents your life depict? You know, some would think that it's only for those famous that they really have that kind of influence or needs to worry about that. I'm just an ordinary person. Certainly my story doesn't count. You don't think so? You don't think so? We, We don't know the name of the boy who brought the fishes and the loaves. We don't know of him. We don't know the woman who broke her alabaster vial. We don't know her by name that poured out that lavish worship upon Jesus, but we know that Jesus said of her act that it would be remembered and never forgotten. And so it is. It's recorded in Scripture. 
He also said that of everyone who would give even a cup of cold water in his name. It'll never be forgotten. Every orphan adopted, every gift given, in the name of Jesus, Jesus always sees. You're not anonymous with him. So are you already being shaped by this grace? And, and if so, then, my friends, it's, uh, it's free admission. Free admission by the price that Christ paid for each and every one of us, that we become a part of this community that will someday be a part of that ascending cloud and city. If you already know this grace, if it's already working in your life, then you know it's not fame that is required to qualify. It's merely dedication to stay in the life that He supplies. To abide in Him. And he produces the fruit. If you know what it is to feed on this grace, then you know Paul's words are true for you. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it. It is a continuing story. will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. John assures us that that day is coming. Are you being shaped for it now? He was a grandfather. And the pastor thought maybe he needed some help with his grandson. After all, his ways were different than that younger boy's generation. And perhaps the grandfather wasn't aware of how difficult it was when he had trained his young uh, grandson to um, carry his faith with him wherever he went. That, well, taking a, a Bible to school might not be exactly the thing that everyone thinks is cool. But this grandfather was also a carpenter, and there had been a recent storm, and the pastor had asked this grandfather if he would prepare, uh, repair the, the cross that had been twisted in the storm on the top of the steeple. He had all the ladders in place, and he'd go up to the top, and he'd removed the broken cross and brought it back down and traced it for the right size and would measure and then go up and measure the spot where it would attach and come back and measure it again. He'd shape the cross down there and continued his work most of the afternoon until at the very end he hoisted the cross to the top and attached it there. But all day long he was up and down the ladder, up and down the ladder, up and down the ladder. He was up the ladder when his grandson came home that afternoon after school. From his perch, unaware, he, he observed, his grandson unaware, he observed how he was treated, how he was taunted. How his grandson stood his ground, clenched his Bible, claimed who he was despite the difficulty. He watched him go home. He had never been prouder of his grandson, but the pastor had watched the same scene from his office window, and he had a different take on it. He came out, and he, he said, let me ask you two questions. He said, the first one is, I've seen you go up and down the ladder and up and down the ladder and up and down the ladder all day. What's that about? What, you know, he said, well, you don't understand how a carpenter works. We measure twice and cut once. I'm, I'm shaping the cross down here. So when I get up there, I'll know it'll fit. I'm shaping the cross here so it'll fit up there. And the pastor said, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that about carpentry, but 
I do know something about people and about young boys, and I, I think you're making a mistake to ask your grandson to stand for his faith at school. He's just going to be ridiculed, and he'll, he'll come up hating the faith that way and, and resentful of it for the way he's been treated. And the grandfather put up his hands, and he said, No, I, I beg to get, disagree. I'm shaping my grandson down here so he'll fit up there. The story continues. The shaping's not over. But a wedding day is before us. The best is always ahead. And so today as we come for this communion, let's invite that grace that shapes us down here to keep shaping us. As we come for communion today, I wonder if, if you would humor me. In front of you right now in your seat is a little paintbrush. Would you take that paintbrush out of that pocket and just hold it in your hand? Can you find it? It's been there all along this morning, thanks to some helpful friends here. Would you hold that paintbrush in your hand? And I, I want to ask you as you come for communion to let that symbolize something for you. That, that's the paintbrush for that scene of your life. What is it that eternity will tell of me and you? That we depended on Christ and let him author and shape and paint that picture through us or that we, we held that brush to ourselves and never released it to the master? That's your paintbrush. That's your life. You will do with it as you choose. But I challenge you this morning as you come to make a decision about what that scene will come to look like into whose hands you entrust that brush this morning. You might keep it for yourself. It's yours. Put it in your pocket. Take it home. Paint what you can. Or today, you might want to say as you come past that altar just to lay it there and say, Lord, you're the master artist. Do with me what you did with Rhett and with Scarlet. Let's continue this story. Continue it in me. This is my story. And I offer it to you. You can do so much more with it than I can. You decide as we come this morning for communion. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread and he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to you, our Father, and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take Drink from this, all of you, for this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord God, in remembrance of you, we do these things. We pray that you pour your Holy Spirit out upon these gifts of juice and bread. But we pray, God, that you pour your Spirit into the scene that's being painted of our lives. Work in us. Lord God, work through us. 
as we entrust the, the scene that you paint to your hand. We come to receive that grace, that empowering, that forgiveness, that starting over place. We pray that the next chapter, whatever the last ones have been, they are gone with the wind. We pray, Lord God, that you'd start writing those scenes into our lives that will be celebrated when Jesus comes with the clouds. In your holy name we pray. Amen.